What role did pamphlets, woodcuts, and catchy songs play in the propaganda wars of the Reformation? Find out today on Footnoting History. Hello, this is Nicole, and welcome to Footnoting History. This morning we'll be looking at the creation of Protestant propaganda during the first decade of the Reformation. When asked about propaganda in general, and especially about propaganda wars, most people will think of 20th century campaigns by governments during the World Wars and after. It's true that these famous propaganda operations used new mass media techniques, like film and radio, to persuade citizens of their cause and weaken enemy morale. However, the 20th century was not the first time that groups used emerging technology for propaganda purposes, or even the first propaganda wars. In fact, the term propaganda comes from the Catholic response to the Reformation and the subsequent religious wars. In 1622, during the Thirty Years' War, a war fought for religious and political reasons that involved most of the states of Europe, Pope Gregory XV established the Sacra Congregatio de Propaganda Fide, or the Sacred Congregation for the Propagation of the Faith, to manage foreign missionary work. This turned the late 16th century commission set up for the same purpose during the Reformation into a permanent institution. A few years later, in 1627, Pope Urban VIII founded the Collegium Urbanum, or College of Propaganda, to educate young priests charged with spreading the faith. Although the term was only coined in the 17th century, from the beginning of the Reformation its leaders used a relatively new technology, the printing press, in order to try and reach as many people as possible for propaganda purposes. In the words of scholar Mark Edwards, the Reformation should be seen as the first large-scale media campaign in the West. The printing press itself had already been invented almost 70 years before the Reformation began, in 1450 in Mainz, a city in Germany which in the medieval and early modern periods was part of the Holy Roman Empire. By the time that Martin Luther wrote his 95 Theses in 1517, more than 200 European cities had printing presses. There were approximately 62 printing presses in the German-speaking places in which most Reformation propaganda was produced and circulated. In early modern geography, the Holy Roman Empire and the Swiss Confederacy. So what were all of these printing presses turning out? Printers would produce pamphlets, which were generally small and cheap, in the vernacular instead of in Latin. Although they could be shorter or longer, on average they were about 32 pages and cost a penny or two per sheet. For the standard pamphlet, this works out to approximately a third of a day's wages for a mid-level artisan. Not cheap, but certainly within his means. It's important to note that members of the general public who were literate in their vernacular German, but not in Latin, were specifically targeted for Luther and the Reformation evangelists' message. As a consequence, there was an explosion of German pamphlets, which could be read by more than the small Latin reading elite during the first years of the Reformation. In 1519, there were three Latin pamphlets for every one in German, but two years later there were three German pamphlets for every Latin one. One year after that, in 1522, there were nine times as many German pamphlets published than those in Latin. So how many pamphlets were printed in German-speaking lands? Well, between 1520 and 1526, during the first decade of the Reformation, there were 6,000 different printings, either first editions or reprints of tracts, which translates to at least 6.6 million individual pamphlets. 
Clearly, there was an audience for these pamphlets, but what made them so popular? First, we should note that early Protestant pamphlets can be divided into two types, pastoral, or those that sought to educate people about the basics of Luther's ideas for reform, and polemical, or those attacking opponents. Pastoral tracts, which Luther aimed at the laity, stressed normal secular activities like marriage and hard work, and later urged them to reject the privileged role of the clergy to mediate their relationship with God. All of Luther's publications in 1519 and early 1520 are pastoral in nature, and were in high demand in German-speaking lands, in addition to circulating throughout Europe, from England all the way to Italy. In addition to buying pamphlets, students flocked to Wittenberg to listen to him in person, while German printers, eager to make a profit, continued to crank out editions of his works. In a series of publications in 1520, including the tellingly titled On the Babylonian Captivity of the Church, you can get an idea of Luther's tone towards the church hierarchy here. Luther clearly rejected the authority of the Pope, and he was excommunicated in January 1521 after refusing to recant several points deemed heretical. Thereafter, both Catholics attacking Luther and Luther and his followers started publishing more and more polemical pamphlets accusing each other of various sins, of being in league with the devil, or portraying their opponents as the devil himself. Why were these polemical works so popular? Remember that pamphlets, especially Protestant ones, consciously tried to appeal to everyday people. We've talked about the themes of the pastoral pamphlets, but the format of both was also important. In these works, which we've already noted were relatively short and inexpensive, one popular way that both Protestant and Catholic authors spread their ideas was through song. Many pamphlets contain contrafacta, or songs that replace the words of other well-known songs, in order to forward a certain message or tell a story about events occurring in the Reformation. Since people already knew the tunes, they were easy to remember in addition to being amusing. Contrafacta in pamphlets were like the YouTube parody videos of their day, and in a similar fashion to some of today's videos that skewer politicians and other notable figures, Protestant contrafacta targeted the important religious people of the day, the Pope and bishops, as well as the rest of the clergy. During the Reformation, there were no recordings of song, nor did the pamphlets generally contain musical notation, but they did contain the name of the catchy song to be sung, along with graphic pictures that drove the point home. In many cases in pamphlet images, in both those accompanying contrafacta and those that didn't, the target of the attack was depicted as working with the devil, or even being the devil. One of the most well-known examples is a woodcut published in 1523 and entitled The Donkey Pope of Rome by Lucas Cranach, a friend of Martin Luther's and an important artist in Luther's home base of Wittenberg. As the title suggests, the illustration portrays the Pope as part donkey and part mythological griffin, itself a combination of an eagle and a lion. The devil appears to sprout out of the donkey's rump. Another of Cranach's woodcuts, the Papal Belvedere, makes the Pope the butt of a crude joke. Not everyone might have been able to read the Latin and Italian text that accompanied the illustration, or appreciate that Belvedere, the name of a building in the Vatican, in this case also refers to the beautiful view, Belvedere in Italian, or backsides, that the Germans are exposing to the Pope. Nevertheless, the general point comes across quite clearly as the image shows the Pope holding a papal bull, flaming at the German men, who in response bear their butts and fart at the Pope. These pamphlets were enjoyed not only by people who could read German, which in the cities could be up to 30% of the male population, 
or by the far fewer who could read Latin, as his example shows. Via images and catchy tunes, which illiterate people could appreciate in their own right, and literate people could easily share, Protestant propaganda spread throughout the German-speaking lands, and could be as crude and irreverent as anything that we can think of in the 21st century. If you don't believe me, check out the Lutheran Insulter, which generates insults based on Martin Luther's writings, or check out the images discussed today and decide for yourself. So next time you think about propaganda campaigns, remember that the Reformation did it first. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. See you next week.